0: Section twenty seven of the Exemplary Novels of Miguel de Cervantes Saavedra. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Herndon Bell. The Exemplary Novels by Miguel de Cervantes Saavedra. Translated by Walter K. Kelly. THE ILLUSTRIOUS SCULLERY MAID, PART THREE Whilst these things were happening in the posada, Asturiano was going about the market in search of an ass. He examined a great many, but did not find one to his mind, though a gypsy tried hard to force upon him one that moved briskly enough, but more from the effects of some quicksilver which the vendor had put into the animal's ears than from its natural spirit and nimbleness. But though the pace was good enough, Lope was not satisfied with the size, for he wanted an ass big and strong enough to carry himself and the water vessels, whether they were full or empty. At last a young fellow came up and whispered in his ear If you want a beast of the right sort for a water carrier's business, I have one close by in a meadow. A bigger or a better you will not find in Toledo. Take my advice, and never buy a gypsy's beast for though they may seem sound and good, they are all shams and full of hidden defects. If you want to buy the real thing, come along with me and shut your mouth. Lope consented, and away went the pair shoulder to shoulder, till they arrived at the king's gardens, where they found several water carriers seated under the shade of a water-wheel, whilst their asses were grazing in an adjoining meadow. The vendor pointed out his ass, which took Lope's fancy immediately, and was praised by all present as a very strong animal, a good goer, and a capital feeder. The bargain was soon struck, and Lope gave sixteen ducats for the ass, with all its accoutrements. The bystanders congratulated him on his purchase, and on his entrance into the business, assuring him that he had bought an exceedingly lucky ass, for the man who had sold him had, in less than a year, without overworking himself, made enough to buy two suits of clothes over and above his own keep and that of the ass and the sixteen ducats with which he intended to return to his native place where a marriage had been arranged with a half kinswoman of his besides the water-carriers who assisted at the sale of the ass there was a group of four stretched on the ground and playing at primera the earth serving them for a table and their cloaks for a tablecloth lope went up to watch their game and saw that they played more like archdeacons than like water-carriers, each of them having before him a pile of more than a hundred reals in quartos and in silver. Presently two of the players, having lost all they had, got up, whereupon the seller of the ass said that if there was a fourth hand he would play, but he did not like a three-handed game. Lope, who never liked to spoil sport, said that he would make a fourth. They sat down at once and went at it so roundly that in a few moments lope lost six crowns which he had about him and finding himself without coin said if they liked to play for the ass he would stake him the proposal was agreed to and he staked one quarter of the ass saying they should play for him quarter by quarter his luck was so bad that in four consecutive games he lost the four quarters of his ass and they were won by the very man who had sold him the winner got up to take possession but lopez stopped him observing that he had only played for and lost the four quarters of his ass which the winner was welcome to take but he must leave the tail this queer demand made all present shout with laughter and some of them who were knowing in the law were of opinion that his claim was unreasonable for when a sheep or any other beast is sold the tail is never separated from the carcass but goes as a matter of course with one of the hind quarters to this lope replied that in barbary they always reckon five quarters to a sheep the tail making the fifth and being reckoned as valuable as any of the other quarters he admitted that when a beast was sold alive and not quartered that the tail was included in the sale but this was not the point in question for he had not sold his ass but played it away and it had never been his intention to stake the tail therefore he required them forthwith to give him up the same with everything thereto annexed or pertaining that is to say the whole series of spinal bones from the back of the skull to where they ended in the tail and to the tips of the lowest hairs thereof well said one suppose it be as you say and that your claim is allowed leave the tail sticking to the rest of the ass and hold on by it no said lope Give me up the tail, or all the water carriers in the world shall never make me give up the ass. Don't imagine, because there are so many of you, that I will let you put any cheating tricks on me, for I am a man who can stand up to another man, and put two handbreadths of cold steel into his guts, without his being able to tell how he came by them. Moreover, I won't be paid in money for the tail at so much a pound, for I will have it in substance, and cut off from the ass, as I have said the winner of the four quarters and the rest of the company began to think that it would not be advisable to resort to force in this business for lopez seemed to them to be a man of such mettle that he would not be vanquished without some trouble nor were they mistaken for as became a man who had spent three seasons at the tunny fisheries where all sorts of rows and brawls were familiar things he rattled out a few of the most out-of-the-way oaths in vogue there threw his cap into the air whipped out a knife from beneath his cloak and put himself into such a posture as struck the whole company with awe and respect at last one of them who seemed the most rational induced the rest to agree that lope should be allowed to stake the tail against a quarter of the ass at a game of quinola so said so done lope won the first game the loser was piqued and staked another quarter which went the way of the first and in two more games the whole ass was gone he then proposed to play for money lope was unwilling but was so importuned on all hands that at last he consented and such was his run of luck that he left his opponent without a maravedi so intense was the loser's vexation that he rolled and writhed upon the ground and knocked his head against it lope however like a good-natured liberal gentleman raised him up returned all the money he had won including the sixteen ducats the price of the ass and even divided what he had left among the bystanders great was the surprise of them all at this extraordinary liberality and had they lived in the time of the great tamerlane they would have made him king of the water carriers accompanied by a great retinue lope returned to the city where he related his adventures to tomas who in turn recounted to him his own partial success There was no tavern or eating-house or rogues' gathering in which the play for the ass was not known, the dispute about the tale, and the high spirit and liberality of the Asturian. But as the mob are for the most part unjust, and more prone to evil than to good, they thought nothing of the generosity and high mettle of the great Lope, but only of the tale. And he had scarcely been two days carrying water about the city, before he found himself pointed at by people who cried— there goes the man of the tail the boys caught up the cry and no sooner had lopez shown himself in any street than it rang from one end of the other with shouts of esturiano give up the tail give up the tail esturiano at first lopez said not a word thinking that his silence would tire out his persecutors but in this he was mistaken for the more he held his tongue the more the boys wagged theirs till at last he lost patience and getting off his ass began to drub the boys but this was only cutting off the heads of hydra and for every one he laid low by thrashing some boy there sprang up on the instant not seven but seven hundred more that began to pester him more and more for the tale at last he found it expedient to retire to the lodgings he had taken apart from his companion in order to avoid arguello and to keep close there until the influence of the malignant planet which then ruled the hours should have passed away and the boys should have forgotten to ask him for the tale for two days he never left the house except by night to go and see tomas and ask him how he got on tomas told him that since he had given the paper to costanza he had never been able to speak a single word to her and that she seemed to be more reserved than ever once he had found as he thought an opportunity to accost her but before he could get out a word she stopped him saying tomas i am in no pain now and therefore have no need of your words or your prayers be content that i do not accuse you to the inquisition and give yourself no further trouble but she made this declaration without any expression of anger in her countenance lope then related how the boys annoyed him calling after him for the tale and Tomas advised him not to go abroad, at least with his ass, or, if he did that, he should choose only the least frequented streets. If that was not enough, he had an unfailing remedy left, which was to get rid of his business and, with it, of the uncivil demand to which it subjected him. Lope asked him had the Gallegan come again to his room. He said she had not, but that she persisted in trying to ingratiate herself with him by means of dainties which she purloined out of what she cooked for the guests after this conversation lope went back to his lodgings intending not to leave them again for another six days at least in the company of his ass it might be about eleven at night when the corregidor most unexpectedly entered the posada del sevillano at the head of a formidable posse the host and even the guest were startled and agitated by his visit FOR AS COMETS, WHEN THEY APPEAR, ALWAYS EXCITE FEARS OF DISASTER, JUST SO THE MINISTERS OF JUSTICE, WHEN THEY SUDDENLY ENTER A HOUSE, STRIKE EVEN GUILTLESS CONSCIENCES WITH ALARM. THE unwelcome VISITOR WALKED INTO A ROOM, AND CALLED FOR THE MASTER OF THE HOUSE, WHO CAME TREMBLINGLY TO KNOW WHAT MIGHT BE THE signor CORREGEDOR'S PLEASURE. ARE YOU THE LANDLORD? SAID THE MAGISTRATE WITH GREAT GRAVITY. YES, signor, AND YOUR WORSHIP'S HUMBLE SERVANT TO COMMAND was the reply the corregidor then ordered that every one else should quit the room and leave him alone with the landlord this being done he resumed his questions what servants have you in your inn landlord signor i have two Gallegan wenches a housekeeper and a young man who gives out the oats and straw and keeps the reckoning no more no signor then tell me landlord What is become of a girl who is said to be a servant in this house, and so beautiful that she is known all over this city as the illustrious scullery-maid? It has even reached my ears that my son, Don Perequito, is in love with her, and that not a night passes in which he does not serenade her. Signor, it is true that this illustrious scullery-maid, as they call her, is in my house, but she neither is my servant, nor ceases to be so i do not understand you what do you mean by saying that she is and is not your servant it is the real truth and if your worship will allow me i will explain the matter to you and tell you what i have never told to any one before i hear what you have to say i must first see this scullery maid upon this the landlord went to the door and called to his wife to send in costanza When the landlady heard that, she was in great dismay, and began to wring her hands, saying, Lord, have mercy on me. What can the Corregidor want with Costanza, and alone? Some terrible calamity must surely have happened, for this girl's beauty bewitches the men. Don't be alarmed, Signora, said Costanza. I will go and see what the Signor Corregidor wants, and if anything bad has happened, be assured the fault is not mine and without waiting to be called a second time she took a lighted candle in a silver candlestick and went into the room where the corregidor was as soon as he saw her he bade the landlord shut the door and then taking the candle out of her hand and holding it near her face he stood gazing at her from head to foot the blush which this called up into Constanza's cheeks made her look so beautiful and so modest that it seemed to the corregidor he beheld an angel descended on earth, after a long scrutiny. Landlord, he said, an inn is not fit setting for a jewel like this, and I now declare that my son, Don Periquito, has shown his good sense in fixing his affection so worthily. I say, damsel, that they may well call you not only illustrious, but most illustrious. But it should not be with the addition of scullery-maid but with that of duchess she is no scullery-maid signor said the host her only service in the house is to keep the keys of the plate of which by god's bounty i have some quantity for the service of the honourable guests who come to this inn be that as it may landlord returned the corregidor i say it is neither seemly nor proper that this damsel should live in an inn is she a relation of yours she is neither my relation nor my servant and if your worship would like to know who she is your worship shall hear when she is not present things that will both please and surprise you i should like to know it let costanza retire and be assured she may count on me in all things as she would upon her own father for her great modesty and beauty oblige all who see her to offer themselves for her service Costanza replied, not a word, but with great composure made a profound reverence to the Correjador. On leaving the room she found her mistress waiting in great agitation. She told her all that had passed, and how her master remained with the Correjador to tell some things she knew not what, which he did not choose her to hear. All this did not quite tranquilize the landlady, nor did she entirely recover her equanimity until the Correjador went away and she saw her husband safe and free the latter meanwhile had told the corregidor the following tale it is now by my reckoning Señor, fifteen years one month and four days since there came to this house a lady dressed in the habit of a pilgrim and carried in a litter she was attended by four servant men on horseback and two dueñas and a damsel who rode in a coach she had also two sumter mules richly caparisoned and carrying a fine bed and all the necessary implements for cooking in short the whole equipage was first-rate and the pilgrim had all the appearance of being some great lady and though she seemed to be about forty years of age she was nevertheless beautiful in the extreme she was in bad health looked pale and was so weary that she ordered her bed to be instantly made And her servants made it in this very room they asked me who was the most famous physician in this city i said doctor de la fuente they went for him instantly he came without delay saw his patient alone and the result was that he ordered the bed to be made in some other part of the house where the lady might not be disturbed by any noise which was immediately done none of the men servants entered the lady's apartment but only the two duenas and the damsel my wife and i asked the men-servants who was this lady what was her name whence she came and whither she was going was she wife widow or maid and why she wore that pilgrim's dress to all these questions which we repeated many and many a time we got no other answer than that this pilgrim was a noble and wealthy lady of old castile That she was a widow and had no children to inherit her wealth and that having been for some months ill of the dropsy she had made a vow to go on a pilgrimage to our lady of guadalupe and that was the reason for the dress she wore as for her name they were under orders to call her nothing but the lady pilgrim so much we learned then but three days after one of the duenas called myself and my wife into the lady's presence and there with the door locked and before her women she addressed us with tears in her eyes. I believe in these very words Heaven is my witness, friends, that without any fault of mine I find myself in the cruel predicament which I shall now declare to you. I am pregnant, and so near my time that I already feel the pangs of travail. None of my men servants are aware of my misfortune, but from my women here I have neither been able nor desirous to conceal it to escape prying eyes in my own neighborhood and that this hour might not come upon me there i made a vow to go to our lady of guadalupe but it is plainly her will that my labor should befall me in your house it is now for you to succor and aid me with the secrecy due to one who commits her honor to your hands in this purse there are two hundred gold crowns which i present to you as a first proof how grateful i shall be for the good offices i am sure you will render me and taking from under her pillow a green silk purse embroidered with gold she put it into the hands of my wife who like a simpleton stood gaping at the lady and did not say so much as a word in the way of thanks or acknowledgment for my part i remember that i said that there was no need at all of that we were not persons to be moved more by interest "'than by humanity to do a good deed "'when the occasion offered.' "'The lady then continued, "'You must immediately, my friends, "'look out for some place to which you may convey my child "'as soon as it is born, "'and also you must contrive some story "'to tell the person in whose charge you will leave it. "'At first I wish the babe to remain in the city "'and afterwards to be taken to a village. "'As for what is subsequently done, i will give you instructions on my return from guadalupe if it is god's will that i should live to complete my pilgrimage for in the meantime i shall have had leisure to consider what may be my best course i shall have no need of a midwife for as i know from other confinements of mine more honourable than this i shall do well enough with the aid of my women only and thus i shall avoid having an additional witness to my misfortune here the poor distressed pilgrim ended what she had to say and broke out into a flood of tears but was partly composed by the soothing words spoken to her by my wife who had recovered her wits i immediately went in search of a woman to whom i might take the child when it was born and between twelve and one o'clock that night when all the people in the house were fast asleep the lady was delivered of the most beautiful little girl that eyes ever beheld and the very same that your worship has just seen but the wonder was that neither did the mother make any moan in her labor nor did the baby cry but all passed off quietly and in all the silence that became this extraordinary case the lady kept her bed for six days during which the doctor was constant in his visits not that she had informed him of the cause of her illness or that she took any of the medicines he prescribed but she thought to blind her men-servants by his visits as she afterwards informed me when she was out of danger on the eighth day she left her bed apparently as big as she had been before her delivery continued her pilgrimage and returned in three weeks looking almost quite well for she had gradually reduced the bulk of her artificial dropsy the little girl had been christened costanza in accordance with the order given me by her mother and was already placed with a nurse in a village about two leagues hence where she passed for my niece the lady was pleased to express her satisfaction with all i had done and gave me when she was going away a gold chain which is now in my possession from which she took off six links telling me that they would be brought by the person who should come to claim the child she also took a piece of white parchment wrote upon it and then cut zigzag through what she had written look sir here are my hands locked together with the fingers interwoven now suppose your honour were to write across my fingers it is easy to imagine that one could read the writing whilst the fingers were joined but that the meaning would be lost as soon as the hands were separated and would appear again as soon as they were united as before just so with the parchment one half serves as a key to the other when they are put together the letters make sense but separately they have no meaning one half of the parchment and the whole chain short of the six links were left with me and i keep them still always expecting the arrival of the person who is to produce the counterparts for the lady told me that in two years she would send for her daughter charging me that i should have her brought up not as became her mother's quality but as a simple villager and if by any chance she were not able to send for the child so soon I was on no account to acquaint her with the secret of her birth, even should she have arrived at years of discretion. The lady moreover begged me to excuse her if she did not tell me who she was, having for the present important reasons to conceal her name. Finally, after giving us four hundred gold crowns more, and embracing my wife with tears, she departed, leaving us filled with admiration for her discretion, worth, beauty, and modesty costanza remained at nurse in the village for two years at the end of that time i brought her home and have kept her ever since constantly with me in the dress of a girl who had to work for her bread as her mother had directed fifteen years one month and four days i have been looking for the person who should come and claim her but the length of time that has elapsed makes me begin to lose all hope of his coming if he does not make his appearance before this year is out it is my determination to adopt her and bequeath her all i am worth which is upwards of sixteen thousand ducats thanks be to god it now remains for me signor corregidor to enumerate to you the virtues and good qualities of costanza if it be possible for me to express them first and foremost she is most piously devoted to our lady she confesses and communicates every month she can read and write there's not a better lace-maker in all toledo she sings without accompaniment like an angel in the manner of behaving with propriety she has not her equal as for her beauty your worship has seen it with your own eyes senor don pedro your worship's son has never exchanged a word with her in her life it is true that from time to time he treats her to some music which she never listens to many senors and men of title too have put up at this house and have delayed their journey for several days solely to have their fill of looking at her but i well know there is not one of them can boast with truth that she ever gave them opportunity to say one word to her either alone or before folk this signor is the real history of the illustrious scullery maid who is no scullion in which i have not departed one tittle from the truth the host had long ended his narrative before the corregidor broke silence so much was he struck by the strange facts he had heard at last he desired to see the parchment and the chain the host produced them without delay and they corresponded exactly to the description he had given of them the chain was of curious workmanship and on the parchment were written one under the other on the projecting portions of the zigzag the letters t i i t e r e o e which manifestly required to be joined with those of the counterpart to make sense the corregidor admired the ingenuity of the contrivance and judged from the costliness of the chain that the pilgrim must have been a lady of great wealth it was his intention to remove the lovely girl from the inn as soon as he had chosen a suitable convent for her abode, but for the present he contented himself with taking away the parchment only, desiring the innkeeper to inform him if any one came for Costanza before he showed the person the chain which he left in his custody. And with this parting injunction, the corregidor left the house, much marvelling at what he had seen and heard. End of the illustrious scullery maid, part three.